0: we have a wonderful God don't we it's a God who cares about us it's a God who wants this intimate relationship with us not just for a Sunday morning he wants every part of our lives he wants to be involved in everything and, and he wants us to be involved with him as well his doors are open we sometimes have to ask, are our doors open? Father, as we come this morning, may you open our hearts and may you speak. And Father, may we listen. May we hear your voice. And may we be moved by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. On the first Sunday of of this year, that's two weeks ago, I shared with you a message from Joshua chapter 3. And part of that message, I I quoted um, Richard Evans, who said, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. We sometimes find ourselves 60 70 80 years of age and we haven't hardly done anything yet you know that that speaks to me because getting started sometimes the most difficult thing that we can do we can do a lot of things but it's this act of inertia right that That getting out of our chair or or, or beginning to do something or going somewhere or seeing someone is very difficult. So my encouragement to you as we started 2020 was for us to move forward. To move forward with anticipation. If you anticipate something, it's pretty easy to get going. If you have no anticipation, it's really hard to get started. Uh, To get out of our comfort zones, that's that's a real tough thing. Because it does feel cozy there. Uh, Also, we find that when we see obstacles, it it sometimes stops us. But we need to look at obstacles as opportunities for God to work. Opportunities. Because obstacles will stop us. Last week, uh, Pastor Dave was here, and he talked to you about renewing our focus, and uh, he said we, we do that by restoring our perspective uh, to look at uh, uh, taking up challenges for God's purposes, and I listened to the sermon. It was wonderful. I, I appreciate uh, Dave and the message that he gave to you, and I I hope that you guys were all very blessed by by his message. (laughs) Uh, This morning, I want to share with you from John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. 1 John chapter 1. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And I want to begin, first of all, here with verse 1. And... The Apostle John writes this. He says. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at. And our hands have touched. This we proclaim. This we proclaim. Concerning the word of life. Now can you imagine. Can you imagine. Living in Jesus day. Can you imagine having been. Right there in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can you imagine having touched him. As John has touched him. Having interacted with Jesus. Having been involved in his ministry. This isn't something that is just on a Sunday morning. This is this personal relationship with Jesus. Verse 2. John says, the life, that is Jesus, appeared. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. Again, this isn't a casual relationship. This isn't a a thing of where John says, well, you know, I'm going to come on Sunday morning and meet the Lord. And I'm going to listen to him, and then I'm going to go home, and life is going to go on. What what John is talking about here is a real personal relationship and interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. Daily, yes. Interacting with everything. For three and a half years, or approximately that time, John was with Jesus every day. He knew when Jesus got up. He knew when Jesus went to sleep. He knew when Jesus was praying. Vice versa. Jesus knew everything about John. John knew everything about Jesus. Verse 3. Here John says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And then he has these words. He says, So that... So that you may have fellowship with us. And fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that you may have fellowship with the Lord and with me. Us. Fellowship as a whole. Not fellowship with people. Not fellowship just with God. But fellowship in unison, together, us and God. Wow, that's, that's profound. I want to concentrate this morning or focus this morning on verse 3. On verse 3. And I want to begin with something that I think most of us can relate to. Most of us do have a driver's license, right? Right? Most of us. Most of us have had a driver's license. If we don't have one right now, we have had a driver's license. And most of us have owned a vehicle, right? At one time. We all probably, if you had a driver's license, you probably had a car and you probably remember that first car that you owned. Anybody remember the first car they owned? (laughs) How can you forget, right? that first car that you have owned. We have these real vivid memories of this first car that we have had because this first car was freedom. You got into your car and you drove, or your vehicle, and you drove wherever you wanted. You now had the opportunity, instead of taking miles and miles of walking, now you could go hundreds of miles, even thousands of miles, driving wherever you decided to drive. And for some of us, this first vehicle was our prize. It was, it was our dream vehicle. You know, we, 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 we dreamt of that vehicle. Uh, well, then again, there there's some others who, whose first vehicle was a clunker, right? <laughs> Still, there's this vivid memory, isn't there, of, of this first vehicle you had. But no, member, no matter... How many times, um, how how many of you remember your first vehicle or are still, that's what I was going to ask, how many still have their first vehicle? (laughs) Nobody, right? (laughs) Things change, right? Uh, Life changes, Uh, needs change, Uh, but there are some things that don't change. And whether we have our first vehicle or our second or our third or our tenth vehicle, um, all of our vehicles still have something that is very essential. Uh, You know, our dream vehicle or our clunker. uh, It it had some things that that enabled us and empowered us to do the very things that we wanted to do. They all had uh, fuel. You you needed fuel in order to drive from one place to another, Uh, you needed tires. You also needed to have a steering wheel and brakes and a throttle. You needed an engine. All of these things are essentials no matter whether this was a dream vehicle or a clunker. And no matter what the vehicle needed then, the vehicle that you drive today still needs the exact same things. They're important. So it doesn't change. There's, there's essentials that don't change over time. The church is like that. There's essentials in the church that don't change over time. Most of us are probably not attending this church as your first church. How many of you are here for the... This, this was your first church. Your first church that you attended. Nobody. Interesting, isn't it? Nobody still has their first vehicle. Nobody still has their first church. All kinds of things have changed over the years. However, there are these essential things that never change, And they never change because they're there to keep our faith uh, to keep our faith alive, to keep our faith vibrant, to, to, to uh, allow us to stay on the road to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. There are these things in the church that are so important. If we go back to our vehicle, we find that vehicles take us from one place to another. If you own a vehicle, you know just how important these essentials are in your vehicle. If you have a flat tire, you're going nowhere. nowhere. That's right. Um, your, Your journey will come to an end. If you get into the driver's seat, you have a purpose. And that purpose is to go from point A to point B. You have a destination in mind. But if you get into your car or your vehicle and you don't operate the essentials, the steering wheel, the gas, the ignition, where do you go? Nowhere. If you, get into your, if you don't get into your vehicle, where are you going? Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> Again, here, here's a comparison, isn't it, to the church. If you come into the church and you do nothing, where are you going? Nowhere. Nowhere. If you come into the church and you want to participate, but you have no destination in mind, where are you going? Nowhere. Nowhere. This is something that very often happens to people in a church. They they come, but they don't take hold of the essentials. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a vehicle that God wants to use and is using. The church is a vehicle that God is using. The church is designed to To be a rescue vehicle. The church is designed to be a rescue vehicle. The church is designed to be. A training vehicle. And the church is designed to be. A connection vehicle. A connection vehicle. I want you to keep this in mind. As we continue. The church is designed to be a connection vehicle. I want to ask you another question. And I'm going to be asking for some response here. Let me just ask a few of these questions first. First of all, why have you made this church, the Church of the Nazarene, the church that you regularly attend? In other words, what brings you here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I'm probably treading on some thin ice here, but we're going to go that way anyway. What brings you here Sunday after Sunday? Let's get a few responses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Fellowship. People. The word. Commitment. Music. The family of God. Lunches. <laughs> Lunches. <laughs> and then, you know what? There, there are a few things that kind of help bring us into uh, our, our meetings together. But I think the key, at least for most, is this whole idea of connection. Connection. We come to church because we are connected to other people. If we look at verse 3 again, John says this. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So you may have fellowship with us, And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So so John here is talking about a connection between God and everyone else that you meet in his house. Let me ask this question. And it's point number one in uh, in my sermon. What does fellowship mean to you? What does fellowship mean to you? We're going to explore that. Now, the English translation of pretty much every Bible that I looked at uses the word fellowship in this particular verse. And the, the word fellowship, in the English, they've, they've translated it fellowship from the word Koinonia. And they said, Koinonia is our best explanation of, or, or, or fellowship is the best explanation we have in the English language for Koinonia. I looked in German Bibles and, and I found that they translate the word Koinonia there Gemeinschaft, Gemeinschaft, which actually translates in the English to community to community. And and that really kind of brings this whole meaning a little closer to this idea of koinonia. But it still doesn't give us this full understanding of what John is trying to get at. And, And so we have to go to a place where we begin to describe, to describe what the word actually means. If you have another language, a second language, or or maybe it was your mother tongue, you will notice that very often somebody will use a word in this this language. I know it was from, from German. There's a German word that somebody uses, and it's impossible to transfer that into an English word. It doesn't work. And so what we end up doing is we end up taking several sentences to explain what that word actually means. And and koinonia is speaking of a community of people. But it's speaking of a community of people who are connected to each other. Who are communicating with each other. Who are interacting with each other. Who are partnering together together who are contributing to one another, who have this interpersonal relationship with each other. Do you get that out of the word fellowship? Not at all. Because fellowship means, well, let's see, we're going to have a potluck, and we're going to sit around the table, I'm going to talk to about two or three different people that I love to meet at my church, and we're going to have fellowship. Fellowship with who? Who? With the church, it's not working, is it? That's not fellowship. That's not what John is talking about. John's talking about these things that I've described. John's talking about the kind of connection that he has with Jesus or had with Jesus while he was walking on this earth. He's talking about this relationship that he had with Jesus. And now he's saying he has this relationship with the church and with Jesus. His desire is for us to get it, to be brought into the same kind of relationship that he had or has with God and with the church. Now the question, of course, is, How does fellowship happen? How does fellowship happen? Koinonia is about sharing community, sharing a common bond, bond, sharing our lives together. It's about living. It's about breathing. It's about sharing everything with one another in God's family. If we look at this passage in the New Testament, we find that this passage is outside of the gospel message. This passage is probably the most important passage in the New Testament. Outside of the gospel, this is the church. The greatness of this passage is found in this key word, koinonia. I want to uh, explore that further. I want to show you. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. This is one of the key passages that supports 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 3. Here in, in chapter 2, verse 44, scripture says, All the believers were together and shared, or, ha, together and had everything in common. Now, as I looked this up, I found that some Bibles don't have everything in common. Some Bibles have written down shared. They shared everything. Uh, the root word, the or the, the word that is used in this passage is koinos, which is the root word for koinonia. That's, that's where the word we get the word koinonia. And it really explains some of the things that are taking place right there in Acts chapter 2. It was Christians who were having this kind of relations, this, this koinonia relationship with one another. They were sharing their lives with one another. They were sharing their resources. They were sharing their responsibilities with one another. And, and again, it has this whole idea of communicating, of, of connection, of interaction, of contribution. It, it, it's bringing it all together into one. We remember a, a number of weeks ago, I, I shared a message before Christmas about the unity that Jesus was praying for for his church. It has a connection there. In verse 36 of the same passage in Acts chapter 2, 46, uh, scripture says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, And enjoying the favor of all the people. And I don't think it's talking about all the people in the church. I think it's talking about the public. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. They enjoyed one another. Where were they meeting? Scripture says they met in the temple courts daily but this is not a prescription for the church this was a very special occasion Uh, God doesn't expect the church to meet every day Uh, here's the situation Uh, scholars say that in the city of Jerusalem resided about 30,000 people that was the population so very similar to the size of Penticton That was the city of Jerusalem in that day. But at Passover, that city grew as people came to worship to approximately, scholars say, two million people converged on that city. Two million people came to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover. Now, a lot of those folks lived a long ways away, so they traveled. They traveled a distance, and many of those folks decided, if we're going to travel all this distance, we're not going to be there for a week. We're going to be there for some time. And so they stayed for about three months normally. They stayed for three different feasts. The last feast was the Feast of the Harvest, which we know as Pentecost. And so scholars say probably about 100,000 people remained in the city of Jerusalem during this feast. Now we have to remember that they had only brought enough to take them through those three months. But then something very special happened. The Holy Spirit came and these people's lives were changed and they weren't about to go home. So they continued to stay there. That's when people started to open their homes and meet together in their homes and fellowship together. We have similar kind of things that happen, not exactly in the same sense, but we do have what we call these church conventions. And very often we have a whole bunch of people that come together at a convention and we stay for a few days, but we don't stay for three months. But these folks stayed because something was happening something was happening in the church. At conventions, we have speakers, a few activities. And when they're over, there's no point in staying. It's over. But when the Holy Spirit comes, something changes. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. There was a relationship that began... Amongst a small group. And they interacted with one another. And it began to grow. In big groups. Such as worship service. We still have. What we would consider commonality. We still have a time of sharing. But the focus in our worship services are to worship the Most High. Our focus is on God Most High. Our focus is to stand before Him in awe and pay homage to Him. We gather together. uh, As as we gather together, there is something that happens in, in, in in a worship service or in a gathering, and that is that we rub shoulders with one another. I mean, you're sitting right next to somebody, right? You, you can't help, especially if the, the pew is full. You're going to touch somebody. We rub shoulders with one another. We share our enthusiasm for the Lord. We encourage one another. We spur one another in our on in our faith as we meet together. And we meet God corporately. And when we meet God corporately, there's something that is very powerful that takes place. are supposed to take place you see worship corporate worship is hard because we're trying to pull together we're trying to pull together a whole diversity of people a whole diversity of music of prayer, of preaching, of teaching, of ministry. We're trying to pull all of that together. Everybody has a little different idea of how things are to work together. So worshiping together is a real hard thing today. When we put all of our differences aside and we come together and we focus on God, And not our differences. That's when worship becomes powerful. That's when we're not thinking about. I don't like the music. Or I don't like the way. The children's ministry is happening. Or I don't like. The way that person looked at me. Or I don't like the fact that. I never get to meet the other side of the church. If we're focused on God together as one, worship becomes awesome. It becomes powerful. It's at that time that we notice that God is present. And we are changed. We walk out of this place knowing that we have met God today. Knowing that something has changed inside of us. We are moved by it. Small groups are a little bit more interactive or one-on-one. There is this close interaction. There is this partnership. There is this thing that we call relationship that happens. We get to know each other more intimately. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. They had this growing relationship with one another. Scripture tells us there was about 150 people. Pretty much similar to what we have here. 150 people that gathered together. That had everything in common. That were interacting with each other. That were having fellowship and were contributing. In other words there was a group of about 150 people who were doing life together. Doing life together. And they were doing it with glad and sincere hearts. This, this wasn't a fling. This wasn't something that was for today and gone tomorrow. This was something that was heartfelt. This was something that was earnest. Uh, they, they, they were honest. They were genuine with one another. We can get an example of that by having a close friend. Most of us have a friend who is really close or, or two. And, and you know that with a relationship that you've built with that friend, no matter what you're going through, that friend is there with you. No matter what help you need, that friend is there to help you through it, to, help, to go through it with you, to, to uh supply any sources that you need or resources that you need. They would do it together with you because because of the relationship they have built with you. And that's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. They had built this close relationship not with one or two people, but with the church. It was happening amongst the whole church. There was this friendship. There was this trust With the whole body. How many churches do we walk into today. That have that kind of an atmosphere. Verse 47 says. They were praising God. And enjoying the favor. Of all the people. Of all the people. Yes it began with this small group. But it began to expand began to expand because of what they were doing. We might ask this question. Why do we need this fellowship? Why do we need this fellowship? We have to remember that just months prior to all of this happening, Jesus' ministry had come to its its peak. And at its peak, he had the greatest amount of opposition. And it came to the place where Jesus was put on trial. And the whole assembly that gathered there in unison shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! They stood against everything that Jesus represented. And they put him on the cross. There was great opposition against this movement. When the disciples, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the disciples were together. But there was fear. There was fear because of the opposition that they were receiving from outside. And they locked themselves behind closed doors. That's where they met with one another. Today, there is still a battle against Christianity. Our faith, our values, our principles are being attacked by a depraved secular culture. And that culture is powerfully influencing our society. Every core part of our faith is being attacked. Society doesn't want to have anything to do with this Jesus. Yes, he's a nice guy, as long as it stays over there. But you make it personal, and everything changes. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The World Economic Forum says this, the two top epidemic mental and physical health illnesses are depression And anxiety. Depression and anxiety. This is a global epidemic, they say. Next in line are alcohol and drug disorders. Followed by bipolar disorders and schizophrenia. This is what sin does. This is what opposition to God does. Another expert says... We face what has become an epidemic of anxiety or disorders. And he says, we must confront the social conditions behind it. Why are they there? There is this pressure that comes from society. Uh, we, we have this, this epidemic because of the distortion in our society, because of our electronic world that we are living in today. Our our world is self-centered. It's it's being pressured from all sides. The, the, The whole thing today is not about relationship. It's about stuff. It's about money. It's about technology. It's about everything that creates all of this anxiety in our lives. All this pressure. All this uncomfortable stuff. And we're trying to get out of it, but we don't know where to go. And so we try to go to the next latest technology to try to get some satisfaction, some peace, some relief. It's not working. Society is setting aside its intimate, interpersonal relationships with one another. And the sad thing is, is that it's creeping into our churches. It's creeping into our churches. We are becoming like our society. But there is hope. There is hope. I want you to imagine with me for a few moments if it's possible. Imagine with me us having come into this room this morning and knowing far more than just our names. And Some of us don't even know. I don't know all of your names. But some of you have been here for a long time and don't know all the names of the folks here. But can you imagine coming here and knowing more than just names? Knowing each other's attitudes and interests and goals. Knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses. uh, Having spent open personal time with each other. Not just an hour here or a day here, but weeks and months and years with one another. Having become good friends. Uh, You know, good friends, they can agree with one another. Good friends can disagree with one another. Good friends can argue with one another. Good friends can say hurtful things to one another. But good friends also forgive one another. They talk about their issues and they say, it's all done, let's move on. It's no longer important. Our friendship is what's important. Good friends do life together through hard times, through good times. They admonish one another. They encourage one another. They help one another. They stand up for one another. And it doesn't matter if you have a good friend and even if something is found against your friend, you will stand next to your friend and you will support them. You will help them even if you know that they've done wrong. You're going to stand there and you're going to say, I'm still with you. I'm going to help you through this. I'm not going to push you away. I'm going to embrace you. They do that because they love each other. If this were happening here at the church of Nazarene in Penticton, what would happen to you? If we had this kind of relationship, what would happen to each one of us? What would happen if people in our community got wind of the fact that we have this wonderful relationship with each other? What do you think would happen? Some response. We would grow. Why? Everybody wants what we have. That's what would happen. Let me share just a little story with you. We have this friend, wonderful friend, Dennis. He's a magnet, to tell you the truth. He's a guy who can stand or sit amongst anybody... And have the table rolling. We were at a wedding. At a friend of ours. Who was getting married. And at this wedding. We were sitting at the table. A few of us that came. To Lloyd Minster for this wedding. And here we were sitting around. And, and Dennis is a real card. And he's just got this table roaring. We're interacting with one another. Sharing all kinds of things. And the next thing you know. We've got a couple of people who find a chair and sit down next to us and a few more. And pretty soon we've got this whole table that's roaring. And in a, a little later, as we look around the room, you could see that table over there and another and another and another. And you know what they're looking at? The table we're sitting at. And you know what's on the mind of every person? I want to be there. I don't want to be sitting at my table. There's nothing happening. This is an exciting place. That's where I want to be. Because things are happening here. That's what I need in my life. You see people are watching you. They're watching the Church of Nazarene. They've got their right, whether you notice it or not. They might not even notice it, but they're still watching. And people are looking for love. They are looking for a relationship. People are desperately looking to be accepted, to be valued, to have a place where they feel that they belong, where people care about each other, where people are willing to go the extra mile for them. That's what people are looking for. If we look at Acts chapter 2, we find that this was the norm of the first church. This wasn't extraordinary. This was the norm. And Scripture tells us in verse uh, Acts chapter two, verse forty-seven, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There were lots of people that gathered around there, but when they gathered and they experienced what this little group was experiencing says the Lord added to those who were being saved. It's not that those people were saved when they came into the church. It's the fact that those people saw what was happening between the people who were worshiping together and fellowshipping together and doing life together. That they were convinced that this is God the Lord Jesus Christ and they needed him. They came to realize it not because they entered into the group, but because they saw what was happening inside of that group. This weekend, as we were at our pastor's retreat, I'm not sure which one of our speakers had mentioned it, but he had mentioned the fact that the average person takes a journey of five to six years in coming to faith. It takes five to six years for a person to begin his journey toward God and finally comes to that place. It's because of all the things that they experience until they get there. It's when they see the people of God as one, working together, loving one another, caring for one another, that they came to faith. I want to give credit where credit is due. Because I know that there are families in this church who are doing and giving and working on koinonia. They're doing it. And I want to encourage you, those of you who are doing it, don't give up. Don't stop. If you are doing koinonia with this fellowship, do it all the more. Do it all the more. Be infectious. Be contagious. So that others will begin to do exactly the same thing. It will make a kingdom difference. We're not talking about a church here, just this small group. We're talking about the kingdom of God. God doesn't care if there's 50 people here or 150 people or 250 people in this church. What God cares about is what we are doing out there. That's what's important to God. He wants to see our worship conducted in a way that gets us excited about what he is doing in here, through us, out there. Now those of us who have not been practicing koinonia, we have a decision to make. We have a big decision to make. And the question is this, What kind of a church are we going to be? What kind of a church are we going to be? You see, the challenge is yours. I can't change this church. I can't change the way things happen, the way things run. That's not my job. It's to help you make aware of what God wants to do. The challenge is yours. And God will add to this church when we're ready. When we're ready, God will add. Koinonia is really up to you. Father, it's amazing. There's so many wonderful things that you do amongst us and in us and through us. But you have given us a mission. You have given us a responsibility. You have given us every resource possible. And still you say to us, it's your choice. It's my choice. It's our choice. Lord, may my heart be right. And may my heart choose you. May my heart choose your family. For your kingdom and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.